Church, our reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians 11, which, uh, if you've got a, a church Bible, is on page 1152. So that's 1 Corinthians 11, uh, we're going to start at verse 2. I praise you for remembering me in everything, for holding to the traditions, just as I passed them on to you. But I want you to realise that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covers, dishonours his head But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonours her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it's a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord... Woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of or through woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair... It is a disgrace to him, but but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Thanks, Martin. This is one of the reasons we preach through books of the Bible, so we don't avoid passages like that. Um, (laughs) Needless to say, the very suggestion that there might be uh, gender-specific roles uh, and principles uh, is already contentious in our culture before I even begin. Uh, But I hope that this passage will uh, motivate us to think about glorifying God Uh, not ourselves, or or even our worldly rights. We've thought about that a lot as we've gone through 1 Corinthians, about giving up our own freedoms, if you like, uh, and what we think we should be able to do and and not do, for the sake of others, to the glory of God. We're going to walk through uh, verse by verse. Uh, I won't pretend this is a straightforward passage, uh, so uh, hopefully we'll we'll get through it. 
And there's lots to think about. There's lots implied as well. And there's, there's endless avenues we could go down with this, go, uh, down with this passage. Um, so we're not going to go down a lot of them. We're not going to think about um, uh, gender identity and sexuality, all of those sort of things. But a lot is implied from this passage. So I encourage you to think about it more as, we, uh, as you go away from this. Uh, but let me pray because we're going to need God's help as we go through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for passages like this that seem to stand in stark contrast to what our world uh, believes to be right. So we pray we would uh, see how uh, understanding this passage actually helps us glorify you and live for you in our lives. Whether we're men or women, uh, we pray that we would uh, see that uh, there is a way we can glorify you and you alone. There's a way we can live our lives in response to all that Jesus has done for us through salvation. So we pray you'd help us now in his name. Amen. Uh, Right, verse 2, chapter 11, uh, from the beginning. I praise you for remembering me and everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. Uh, The Corinthians are being uh, told by Paul that, uh, on the whole, the issue he's about to talk about, this tradition, uh, they seem to be holding to it. Okay, So it's not a big, major problem. But he does want to remind them that this issue is significant, and he wants to remind them about the principle behind it. And he talks about tradition. So he says, you're holding to the traditions I've given you. Uh, So a tradition isn't biblical mandate or scripture. You you must obey. A tradition uh, is actually something that we put in place, a good tradition at least, (laughs) is something that uh, we put in place to help us uh, live by the principle uh, of truth from the scripture. So we're going to see in uh, this passage, uh, there are cultural traditions at the time uh, that Paul wrote this letter, such as women covering their heads in the church, that rightly at that time demonstrated uh, the church's obedience to a bigger theological point, and that's of holding to the, let me just give you the end line now, holding to the created order of God that exists to bring glory to God alone. So uh, we may not decide by the end of this service that all women should cover their heads, you uh, but we will want to take the principle of this passage really seriously uh, about uh, glorifying God through his created order of things and uh, Paul seems to make about four different cases or arguments for this created order that we're going to look at this idea of headship uh, and we're going to go through each the first two are much much longer than the last two so don't panic when we get to about quarter past and i'm not done we're not halfway through we're almost there uh, so the first one the case of the gospel glorifying god the case of the gospel glorifying god so this is the case paul is making uh, for this idea of headship in the church so have a look at verse three but i want you to realize that the head of every man is christ And the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now this verse uh, is full of gold, actually. I mean, firstly, uh, while the emphasis of this passage uh, is going to remind the church that women ought to demonstrate their acceptance of male headship in the church, uh, there is to be no misunderstanding as we begin this passage as to who is the head of man. Man does not have any kind of authority in and of themselves. Uh, 
they have no right to lord their power or authority over anyone else. Uh, there's to be no misunderstanding. Christ, Jesus, is the head of man. Uh, so men aren't to abuse their leadership or uh, lord it over others or coerce people with it or manipulate people or bully people uh, to, to gain control or to, to gain their own sort of, uh, for their own gain. No, men are to submit to the headship of Christ, Jesus, our Lord. That's where Paul starts. I think that's probably a quite a long way from how we understand as a culture, isn't it, what this idea of headship authority is in terms of leadership. We don't think of it as a loving, sacrificial, servant-hearted leadership that Christ has over us. If you think about Jesus for a minute, uh, he sacrificed the glory of heaven, one with the Father, in heaven, gave it all up, to become a man on earth, suffered. People hated him, they abused him, they talked badly of him, they plotted against him. They eventually killed him on a cross 2,000 years ago. He was a servant-hearted, sacrificial leader who, whose motivation was one of love towards those that he led. He did everything for the sake of love, for the sake of salvation, for those who would believe in him. He died for those whom he is head of. And so men, I, I kind of feel like, don't we want to be like Jesus? That seems to be the call here in this passage. Don't you want to be like Jesus? But then lead the church like Christ led it's not exactly an easy calling, is it? It's a calling for men to lay down their lives, metaphorically, uh, but at times perhaps even literally, as Jesus did, for the sake of love and a rightly perceived responsibility of headship to bring glory to God alone. And without that sort of headship demonstrated by Christ... Uh, there would be no gospel, would there? There'd be no good news if Jesus hadn't chosen to lead his church as he did, if Jesus hadn't also chosen to submit himself to God the Father. Jesus would not have given his life for us. There would be no, no forgiveness on offer to those who believe and repent and come to him for salvation. There'd be no relationship with God available. There would be no hope in this life. That's the kind of leader that Jesus is. Uh, secondly, though, uh, women accept authority from men in the church, but just as Christ accepted authority from God the Father. So that second part of verse 3 again, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, so while our culture, and perhaps even you kind of react to the Bible stating that man is the head of women, isn't it striking that this calling for women to choose submission to the headship of men is immediately followed by the same picture of Christ Jesus choosing to accept headship from God the Father? Don't you want to be like Jesus, seems to be the 
the call for women just as it was for men. Uh, we know from John's Gospel, don't we, that, uh, which we looked through last year, that Jesus is one with the Father. He, he's part of the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is of equal worth, equal majesty, equal supremacy, equal wisdom, equal righteousness, equal power, equal perfection, worthy of all honour and all praise from all people. We sang, didn't we, that every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. Jesus is one with the Father. And it's interesting, isn't it, as we, we think of Jesus like that, and yet as we look through Scripture and Jesus' earthly life, he did nothing but choose submission to the, to the headship of God the Father. And we, we don't think, well, that's not fair, or... Well, Jesus must be weak, or he's not really equal with God the Father, if that's the case. Quite the opposite, don't we? We see him accepting humbly the role given to him by God the Father. We understand Jesus to be of equal honour and worth before God, with God. We see his example of one of strength and sacrifice and humility of love and integrity we see his life as one that glorifies God alone and he achieved all that as Hebrews says through his obedience to God the Father his obedience earns us salvation we're told in Hebrews he was perfectly obedient to the Father. If it wasn't for Jesus' choice to accept that role of following uh, God the Father, there would be no gospel at all. There would be no good news. There would be no salvation. And so, God's people. In that context, Paul introduces this whole passage. Men and women choosing to follow the example of Christ in our respective ways, we're showing the world Jesus. It's the call that's been all the way through Corinthians. We're showing the world the good news that there is, that there is hope, that life is not about doing whatever you want, and I'm sure it'll be all right in the end, choosing whatever you want, and it'll be all right in the end. It's about demonstrating that we have lives that have been called by Jesus, changed by Jesus, submitted to the authority of Jesus, following his example in submission and headship, so that the lost world will look in and see something different, something that offers hope, something that models the life of Jesus, his choice of submission to God the Father and his headship over men and the church. So in short, these, uh, this, that one verse uh, that introduces this whole section calls both men and women to be like Jesus. Yes, in different ways, but not with a different understanding of value or significance of each other. Both callings require a huge sacrifice, great humility and love, if expe expressed correctly. And both model the gospel that offers hope to our world for the glory of God.
So uh, what does this principle then of headship look like? That's our introduction from Paul, uh, verses 4 and 5. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, speaking of Christ. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, speaking of man. It is the same as having a head shaved. Now in the uh, Corinthian age, it was culturally appropriate for women to wear sort of scarves over their heads in public gatherings, and men didn't. Although there's some evidence that when uh, men and women went to sacrifices of false gods or idols, they would all cover their heads. But in the church, both men and women are expected, uh, if you see in that verse, to be involved in public ministry. Both are praying, both are prophesying. We won't cover prophesying today. We will save that for chapter 12 or 13. Uh, We're coming there. Uh, But both are expected to be involved, but they are to do it in a way that properly uh, demonstrates headship. Do you see that? And why is that important? Well, in short, because we want all glory to go to God, not anyone else. As his people reflect the life of Christ, as we've talked about in the gospel. So as well as modelling Christ in our roles, the reason it's ultimately significant that we model Christ in the roles that we play in church is because it brings glory to God. So Jesus, in his obedience, didn't just win salvation for us. Uh, Part of that was to glorify God. So the order of headship, if you like, is the way the gathered church models the correct way of glorifying God. So have a look at verse 7, just skip through. Uh, Paul picks up the word glory later on, but the idea is there through headship. So verse 7, a man ought to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. So perhaps it's, it's helpful to kind of think of stepping stones over a, uh, a river. Um, all the stepping stones are the same, aren't they? I'm talking like properly made ones, not just hope you don't, the thing doesn't move when you step on it. They're all the same. Uh, so the first stone perhaps is women, and they choose to accept the headship or the authority of the next step, men. And men choose to accept the authority and the headship of Christ, the next step. Who chooses to accept the headship and the authority of God the Father, the next step. And the only way to cross the river, the only way to glorify God, that's that's what we're trying to do as we cross the river, is to acknowledge the step in front of you. In terms of bringing glory to God, no one step is... Uh, more or less valuable than the other. They all need to be stepped on. You can't cross the river otherwise. But if you ignore the order, you're going to get wet. You're not going to get to the other side. You're not going to glorify God as he intended. We undermine the way Jesus chose to glorify the Father, if we ignore his step, for example, and so on. So, men, we cannot glorify God by ignoring the headship of Christ. Women, you cannot glorify God in the gathered church by ignoring the headship of men. Equally, men cannot glorify God by choosing to accept authority or headship of a woman. Because that's to go backwards on the, on the stepping stones. Uh, this and a number, number of other passages in the New Testament is why we only have male elders and uh, male senior pastors in our churches, in our network. Not because men or women aren't equal, not because women aren't capable, we're just called to different roles. 
called to model and reflect Christ in different ways that bring the glory to God the Father alone. So uh, we might ask, what has head coverings uh, got to do with all of this? Uh, And what's our equivalent today? Well, uh, in Corinthian times where Paul was writing to a woman with uncovered hair in a public setting uh, would be seen to be setting herself, uh, particularly in a a church gathered setting, to presenting herself in a manner that dishonoured men. That's what Paul says in those verses. Uh, And it's generally agreed that uh, a woman would do this in two ways. Uh, So the first one, a woman refusing to cover her head, was a sign that she didn't accept the male authority over her. If you like, she presented herself uh, as a man by uncovering her hair, because that's what men do. Uh, The second thing, though, is an uncovered... uh, Sorry, a woman with uncovered hair uh, in that time in public generally was a way of her flaunting her sexual attraction. Uh, So there's a contemporary Corinth Christian who, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he he effectively says that uh, women who flaunted their uncovered faces and hair were tempting men to enjoy something that was meant for the marital home. In other words, if you uncovered your hair or your face in that time, you, you were tempting men for something that should be reserved for marriage. Uh, in other words, to, cover, to not cover hair was to dishonour men and ultimately God because it distracted from the proper order of headship uh, and it distracts men from glorifying God by distracting them because of man's, if you hadn't noticed, propensity to lust. And so she dishonours men and needless to say, men dishonour Christ and the woman. Now in our culture, times have changed Uh, But the theological point should not. Men, we should present ourselves as men, not women, in the way that we dress and act. It also should, I think, be fair to say that men should not behave or dress uh, in a way that distracts women. So no bulging muscles on display. Some of us struggle with that more than others. Not me. Um, No showing off, no flirting. But equally, no abusive power or authority or control, but showing Christ-like servant-hearted leadership that demonstrates our subservience to Christ. And so women, present yourselves as women, not, not as men. We live in a, in a very provocative culture as well, don't we? It says we ought, we ought to be able to wear whatever we want whether it's helpful to other Christian men or not. Now, it's, of course, not a woman's fault if a man lusts after a woman. But it doesn't mean it's right for a woman to present herself in a way that may tempt a man to do so. If you like, if we present ourselves in that way, we're drawing attention to ourselves instead of to God. So we have to question our motives for how we dress and present ourselves. Who are we trying to bring glory to? Uh, the previous section, as we said earlier, of 1 Corinthians, is all about giving up our rights and freedoms for the sake of others, that they may not be tempted or, or have their qu- uh, consciences questioned. So, uh, women, you may be free to wear short shorts, show off your bellies, a bit too much cleavage, but w- why are you doing that, I think Paul would say. Presumably so that others look at you. 
rather than look towards God so that you receive glory, not, uh, not God. The same is true of men as well, particularly in our uh, changing culture. But instead, men and women would choose to follow the example of Christ, to bring glory to God. So women, it means don't dishonour men in the church by seeking the same role as them, of headship, or or dressing or behaving like them. Also don't tempt and distract men uh, by the way you dress. Uh, Some of that will be particularly uh, challenging and relevant to our teenagers at the afternoon service today. But as as parents here as well, we, we need to raise our children to think like this. To think about the way we present ourselves for the sake of others to bring glory to God. Not just so that we look good before others. So uh, that's the case of, uh, I said it was a long point, uh, the gospel uh, and glorifying God. Uh, The second case Paul seems to bring, uh, verses 7 to 9, is from the created order. Let's have a look at verse 7. Uh, A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image of the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Uh, Paul here is simply explaining creation, Genesis 2. Let me read Genesis 2, verse 20 to 23 to you. This is uh, when God created the world. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said... This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. God created woman literally from man for man. Why? As a helper for him. And I guess the obvious question, what does he need help with? Well, we're actually told that in Genesis 2 verse 15. Uh, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Uh, In other words, God created man to obey God, to look after what God has entrusted him, to, to summarise it, to bring glory to God, just as Christ did through his obedience to God. And the church exists for exactly the same purpose, doesn't it? To serve and obey God, to glorify God. So women are called from man to help man do that task. It's the very same imagery we get for biblical marriage in several passages. It has exactly this uh, direction of argument. Now remember, this is not about ability or, or equality. It's also not about the world's affairs. I don't see anything here saying that women shouldn't hold positions of headship in the secular world, for example. This is about bringing glory to God in the gathered church, modelling the relationship between Jesus and the Father so that the world sees the gospel. But we all have different callings, different stepping stones over the river to maintain in order that glory goes to God. 
And unsurprisingly, that is how God created us to be. Uh, uh, verse uh, 7 points out, uh, I thought I'd address this because it's a slightly challenging one, points out that women uh, are the glory of man. I don't think that's saying that women ought to bring glory to man. I think the point of that passage is that if women don't accept the role we, they've been given, they in a sense bring glory to man, not God. In other words, it's a distraction from what we're trying to do. So a woman needs to accept her role in choosing submission to men in the gathered church so as not to bring glory to man who sh from whom she was taken, literally, rather brings glory to God by accepting the roles we've been given. It disrupts the flow of glory, in other words, uh, if we refuse to accept the created order of headship. Now, it's worth saying at this point, uh, and we must be very clear about this point, that no woman... Uh, is to submit to an abusive man in the church. Uh, there are things in place to make sure that doesn't happen. We have a plurality of elders. We have several of us to make sure that no one man can be abusive or take control. Uh, there's no sense that a man can tell any woman after the service, yep, could you get me a coffee, please? That'd be great. I'll be sat over here. Uh, or worse... Men are not to ask women to do things uh, they're uncomfortable with uh, in an abusive, uh, controlling manner. And such behaviour, if you know of any or you come across any, is you must tell the elders immediately and that person will be disciplined uh, and the legal authorities will be involved if it's serious, of course. But men lead in sacrificial love. Uh, the, the words in Genesis are, are special, aren't they? Woman is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Like, a, like our own child, unconditionally loved. We'd lay our lives down for our child. Not in a patronising way, in a genuine, loving, you're from me way. It's about respect and honour as we gather as a church to glorify God in the created order of things it's a reflection of God the Father to God the Son as we seek to grow in faith together. Uh, now verse 10, uh, it is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her head because of the angels. Uh, making the same point, I think, uh, when a woman speaks in a public gathering, uh, it needs to be done in a way that signifies she has an authority over her head, uh, back then signified by a head covering. Uh, and a modelling, if you like, of her acceptance of male headship. Uh, and the opposite is true as well. Men ought to present themselves uh, in, the other, in the opposite way. Uh, that's why we encourage women to pray and to read scripture and to share testimonies and do children's slots uh, in our services. Uh, but we have a, a male eldership as a church. We even at the moment only have male leaders of services because we want to demonstrate male headship uh, of what's going on within the services. Uh, there are other ways of doing it. We've actually been discussing for quite a long time now as elders um, whether we should encourage and ask women to lead our services. And one of the things we're keen to do is make sure we obey this passage. If, if women lead a service, how are we going to demonstrate this created order that brings glory to God in how we do that. 
we haven't gotten an answer yet, but uh, feel free to give us some ideas if you like. Um, but it's a good question to ask, isn't it? We don't just bow to what culture says. We take God's word seriously for the sake of the gospel and glorifying him. Uh, that last bit about because of the angels in verse 10, frankly, nobody knows what that means. Uh, lots of people have lots of good guesses, uh, and you can talk to me afterwards if you want me to talk about a few of them. Uh, but they're all like, inconclusive, so let's not worry too much about it. We get the main point as we go through. Uh, third point, and these two, last two are genuinely very quick. The case of interdependence, not interchangeability. Whew, they're big words, aren't they? Uh, verse 11 and 12. Uh, This is a really key verse to to remind us what we've been saying all the way through. Nevertheless, so despite everything I've just said, Paul says, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, we know that, nor is man independent of woman. Don't forget that, Paul says. For as women came from man, we've talked about that, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. That's what we said all the way along. We are equal. Uh, and more than that, we are interdependent. We rely entirely on each other. Uh, while women may have been created from man in the created order, if you hadn't noticed, us blokes here only exist because we were literally born of women. He gives the, the biological argument to say it's exactly the same in the church. There's a created order, different roles even in childbirth, different roles, absolutely equal, both interdependent. You can't separate the two in the church. But also not interchangeable. We can't do each other's roles and still glorify God in the right way. So while we're interdependent, we're not interchangeable. We cannot all be the same to bring glory to God. We have different roles of absolute equal value, absolutely interdependent on each other. Men need women, women need men in the church. But we do have different roles. And after all, he says at the end of verse 12, everything comes from God. Don't think of yourself highly or elevated or more important if you're a man or less important if you're, if you're a woman. Absolutely equal, interdependent, just with different roles and finally also very briefly uh, the case of nature and practice Uh, it's a slightly complicated verse at the end there Um, but Paul seems to be making the argument that uh, based on the normal experience of nature and and practice women tend to have long hair and men don't now I know some men can still grow long hair but Interestingly, if you look around the world, almost every culture, men tend to have short hair and women have, tend to have long hair. Certainly when you get older, almost exclusively men have short hair and women have long hair. Uh, but it's not exactly clear what he's, he's talking about, but it seems to be he's making this argument. Just, just look around. Think about how we present ourselves. Think about what nature does. Women are given a covering of their head, hair, a natural covering, to signify that uh, men are heads of women. Uh, It gets a bit complicated, but you get the point. I don't think it adds or takes away too much from what we've said. Uh, The point is, this is the practice. As I said at the beginning, it's a tradition. It's a tradition uh, of our culture, even mostly still today, where women have long hair and men have short, uh, that 
signifies, demonstrates uh, this idea of headship from the church. Uh, I'm sorry, I've gone a bit over time. Uh, Let me conclude uh, by stealing a verse from the end of last week's passage, which I think sums up uh, our response to this. Uh, It's the first verse of chapter 11. I think it belongs to the previous chapter of a, a segment, but it makes a lot of sense for this too. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I think that's all this chapter is asking us to do. Follow the example of Christ. It will mean different things for different people. It will mean a different thing for men, different thing for women. But we're simply being asked to follow the example of Christ. We're seeking the glory of God. We're seeking to reflect the love of Christ. To display him to the world so others may be saved. Come to repentance in him. So that God gets the glory. There will be lots to think through about that in our culture, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our families, in our relationships, in our church from that. So uh, please do be thinking about that. Feel free to talk to uh, myself or the elders or or anyone else here. Uh, Don't go away grumbling if you've been uh, upset by anything I've said. Uh, Just come and talk. uh, We're trying to be faithful with the word. Uh, And encourage your children especially to, uh, to think through this as they grow up in a culture that says uh, gender is effectively free reign, do, do what you like. This is a really important passage if we want our next generation to grow up glorifying God and not ourselves. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he chose submission to you in every way so that we may have salvation. If we don't know Jesus, if we haven't accepted his love, his forgiveness, May we do so now. May we come before you in repentance and humility. And may we see how glorious this uh, created order of headship is, not for ourselves, but for you. May we be so different from our culture, so joyful in our service to you, that the world looks in and sees that you have a glorious message of hope. May we think about these words and this passage this week. May you help us think through it in our families, in our, in our church settings, in our, in our thinking, in our understanding of you, so that you may be glorified and we may continue to serve you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.